absolutely amazing. I'd expected a boy, got a girl, had one second of <gasps> and then my heart broke into a million pieces. Oh, he's, he's my boy, he's got my name, so he's gotta be good looking. The first moment I saw Jack, uh, there was a lot of screaming. Um, his, I don't think mine, it's hard to know. I mean, you gotta cut part of their body off. Like, that's your job. It's like, you're the dad in the delivery room. What's my job in here? Hold these scissors and wait for me to say go. Uh, no, I did not cut the cord. I was not offered the chance, and I think I would have declined had I been. Everybody thinks babies are pretty. I just haven't seen very many pretty babies. When Jedediah was born, first thought was, I've gotta take care of this thing. And uh, I don't really know how to do that. I'm gonna have a minion. And uh, I think that kind of affected some of my parenting strategy from the beginning. Having a kid bringing her home and uh, funny, I almost dropped her out of the car seat <laughs> when we first got her. I, I was like, I don't need the diaper bag. And we made it through the doors of that wonderful world called Target. And I looked down at Cora and she's no more than a couple weeks old. And I'm like, wow, why do you have chocolate on your ear? And I was like, wait a minute, that's not chocolate. The darkest, most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know if it was poop or tar straight from the road. I'm most excited about the fact that I will finally have an excuse to play with Legos, Transformers, G.I. Joes. You go pick them up in the rain and they're sitting on the curb because Dad forgot them. You know, before we had Jack, I, I mean, that wasn't even you know, a year ago, but I wonder, what did I do with all that time? I sure had a lot of it. Your kid has changed your life forever and uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give that up for anything. I've always loved my kids, but watching them now, I, I would say I like my kids. I like the people that they've become. Um, you just have the sense that your life is sort of bigger now than it used to be. It's just a big honor being their dad, just hearing them call me dad. That's probably one of the best things that happens to me on a daily basis. If I can be even half the father that my father was to me, to my kid, then that kid's gonna have an amazing life. Well, good morning. Good to see you and happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are here. I want to welcome uh, those of you who are joining us at an offsite campus or uh, online or here at the uh, Long Point campus, maybe one of the venues. Glad that you guys are along too. And uh, really do appreciate uh, dads coming out today. You know, you had several opportunities. You could have watched golf. Uh, you, some of you are big soccer fans. You could have watched the soccer game. You know, only soccer fans and pastors can uh, uh, appreciate uh, and get excited about three points in an hour. Uh, I thought that was funny, but maybe not. But anyway, hey, we're glad you're here. And we're, we're uh, doing something different today, uh, very, very different. We're ending a series. We are 11 weeks into a six-week series on... Uh, outrageous things that Jesus said. And what we've done is we've just taken some of the statements that Jesus made that seem to be outrageous. They seem to be, you know, maybe it's the tone or maybe it's what he said or you go, wow, what's up with that? And we're examining, and examining them and we've taken one per week. And this week what we're going to try to do is do a Q&A. Uh, we know that we can't cover all of them, but we've asked you guys to give us your best questions. Uh, you've done it online, on Facebook and Twitter, and on the city. It's uh, been a vigorous discussion. We'll try to take some of those questions. We're also going to take some live questions. So uh, if you want to uh, text to the number on the screen, 
um, we can take a live question or two. And uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna do it kind of as a panel. Guys like panels. You know, guys watch Sports Center and they listen to guys, you know, arguing sports. You know, that's kind of how they get their stuff. Or they watch CNN or uh, Fox News and they got a whole panel of people arguing politics. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna get a panel of pastors and we're gonna argue theology for a few minutes and hopefully come to something that will be of value to you guys. So, would you welcome with me some of our pastors as they come uh, to join me on the panel? All right, good. So let me introduce uh, who's up here. Some of them you know, some of you might not. This is, uh, to my uh, right, is uh, Josh Walters, and Josh is the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus, and he's also one of our teaching pastors, and he has cool hair. And, uh, wow. Yeah. I appreciate that affirmation. Yeah. And you have, uh, you've recently changed your hairdo, right? I did. I was having some maintenance, maintenance, maintenance issues. Maintenance issues. What were those? Five kids, man. You just can't, there's not time to invest on a hairdo. Product so. and stuff. Okay. Product, yeah. yeah. I hair thought this dryers. was going to be for guys today. <laughs> hey, some guys have I'm options. I'm not saying some those guys are not are valid limited, concerns. So, uh, it's just you know. on my far left <laughs> is Jack Hoy the third. We affectionately call him Jack the Lesser, and uh, he uh, is father to Jack Four, which you probably saw in the video earlier. And uh, his role on our staff is. Research and theology. He's the guy that we ask to Google things. Um, <laughs> All the books in my office, not even real. Yeah. None yeah, of them. None of them. He cringes when I tell you guys to Google it when you don't know something. He doesn't think that's the way it should be done. My diploma cries real human tears. Yeah. So. <laughs> Whatever you say to Google. So things. anyway, so he's here just to be a blessing. And... Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then next to him is Josh Surratt, who is our lead pastor, one of our um, uh, teaching pastors, and also my son. That's right. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Uh, are you getting me anything? This is it. Oh, good. This is it. If this thing sinks, I'm, I'm on it with you. So. <laughs> this has a real good chance of tanking. I'm telling you that uh, right now. So anyway... Uh, we're going to do questions. Why don't we jump into our right. first one? What about the time Jesus called a woman a dog and made her beg for him to heal her daughter? Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I asked for some softball questions. Uh, you know, we do this every once in a while. Every time we do it, I go, I don't want to do this anymore. Somebody just asked me, they said, is it more is it less tiring to do four services on a panel? I said, I don't think so. Uh, and it's questions like this. Uh, Jesus called a woman a dog and then made her beg to be healed. Um, what's up with that? Josh, you got any ideas? Yeah, this is, um, this is actually one of those passages where knowing a little bit about the context kind of helps understand a lot of, uh, of what Jesus was saying. So let's start off by... Um, reading the passages found in Matthew chapter 15. It starts in verse 24. It says, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. 
Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, how many of you, maybe you've said this when you saw a friend or you've overheard some people in the, in the breezeway talking, but they have an encounter with somebody and they say, what's up, dog? You ever heard that? Well, that's not at all what Jesus was doing here. <laughs> Something totally, <laughs> totally different. Um, you know, oftentimes Jesus spoke in parables. There's the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. A uh, parable of a prodigal son. He would use stories of the time uh, that would communicate a message so that people could kind of interact with the story and know what he was saying. Well, a lot of commentators refer to this interaction uh, as a living parable in that Jesus is telling a story, but it just so happens that he and this woman are the characters in the story. And so earlier on in the Gospels, Jesus is actually referred to as the bread of life. And we see in chapter or verse 24 of this passage that he says, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. So he came to the, the children of God, the Jews. And so what Jesus is saying is, it wouldn't be right to take the bread that was intended for the children, for God's children, and throw it to the dogs. Well, at that time, a derogatory name for the Gentiles that the Jews would use was that of dogs, that they roamed the earth, they had no care or concern for anything that was clean or unclean. And so it's easy for us to just hear the language and think, man, was Jesus just being a, being a jerk here? But I feel like the very last you know, if Jesus was being a jerk, just one sentence later, he wouldn't turn it and say, woman, you have great faith. You know, your daughter is healed. So harsh language, but I feel like we see his, his heart come out. I'm not convinced. Somebody it's interesting else. to me, though, because if you read the story even prior to, to the part that you read it, uh, she comes to him and Jesus just ignores her. Like, so yeah. she's walking and she's like, hey, Jesus. And he just doesn't even look at her. And then he apparently assigns her to the disciples uh, which is what leaders do, is give the hard people to the disciples. And <laughs> finally, they come to him and they're like, Jesus, you got to do something with this woman. Like, you, you got to address her. And so, yes, it was kind of a term that was, was used during the day, but it's just interesting to me that he, um, he treats her this way. And I think, obviously, he knew uh, her. He knew what was going on. He knew the way that she might respond. But it's definitely still one of those challenging ones. Not a, not. Not an example of what you would want to go WWJD, what would Jesus do? I don't rec recommend that we go around <laughs> calling people dogs. I don't think that's going to yeah. well, play well. You know, Great theologian. Clear this up, if it, you would. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting, John, when you talk about um, sort of the, the bizarre way that Jesus, you know, if he intends to grant a request, he seems to take his time about it, and he seems to treat her in kind of a, kind of a weird way. Um, but I really think that, Josh, you know, your point about the living parable uh, really gets to what's happening here. So, you know, a lot of times when Jesus would encounter people, um, either in his teachings or, or just in his travels, he would uh, have this sense of what they were thinking or what they were about to do. Um, Jesus was sort of able to look at someone and know them. And I, I think one of the things that's happening here is that Jesus is able to look at this woman and, and know her. And sort of, you know, in his mind, he sort of knows how this interaction is going to unfold. And what that means is he's able to realize that he can not only grant her request, but he can, he can walk her through this in such a way that provides a, a, a teaching and example to everyone around them. And so a couple of things. One of the things I think is really interesting is that this is probably the only place in the Bible that I can think of where someone uh, actually kind of one-ups Jesus and turns his own teaching back around on him. Because, you know, so he basically says, hey, look, I've been sent to the people of Israel and you know, it's not right for a dad to feed the dogs before his own children. And she says, she kind of owns it. And she says, all right, that's fine, but if I'm a dog, I get scraps, right? And I've, mm. you know, I don't really see anywhere else where someone turns it around on them like that. And it's so There's a Father's Day lesson there that uh, she's always gonna get the last word, even if it's Jesus. 
That's right. <laughs> and the other thing that's really interesting is, is that, you know, the word for dog there, you know, typically the word was sort of this, had this connotation of wild animal, like you can't control yourself. But the word that Jesus actually uses, uh, the variation is more like puppy. And so he actually turns this derogatory term into almost an affectionate one. That changes everything. Puppies do change everything. Yeah, good Puppies thing he didn't cute. call her a cat. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> was Jesus serious when he said we should rip out our eye or cut off our hand if it makes us sin? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Actually, you know, as you research it, he was serious. And so uh, we've got a new response station at all of our campuses at the back of the room. There's going to be people with chainsaws, and we're just going to cut that right off. It's going to be exciting. No, I, I think if you, if you look into history, there weren't a lot of one-armed uh, Jews running around. So I don't think he was serious uh, in the sense that he meant to take it literally. But I think he was serious in the sense that he, he used very strong language to help us understand that uh, that, that sin is devastating to us. And, and he's talking in a larger context in that passage about sexual sin and lust. You know, he had just recently made the statement that um, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in, in your heart. And he's, he's kind of taking it to the next level. And so um, I, I think that Jesus, when he looks out at his church, especially as it relates to this sin, sexual sin and sexual bondage, uh, he sees that, you know, it, it would be better. I mean, if you think about how debilitating it would be for you not to have your strong arm or your strong eye, uh, that's a, it's a big deal. But he's saying, you know what, you're, you're, the bondage that you're living in, uh, you would be better off if you cut off your, whatever's causing you to sin uh, because you're not living the life that I've called you to and you're not living the life with effectiveness in the way that I've called you to. And uh, this is an issue that, you know, is, is close to, to my heart. I shared it on a panel uh, several months back that uh, early in my marriage, uh, over 10 years ago, uh, I, was, I was dying. I was struggling in sexual sin, lust, pornography, and it was really um, causing a lot of problems in my own life and in my marriage. And uh, thanks to God's grace, and honestly, thanks to this passage was huge for me because at some point I had to go, you know what, am I serious about overcoming this sin or am I not? Uh, and if I am, I'm going to have to do something drastic. And for me, Cutting off my, my right hand meant I'm going to get rid of the computer. I'm going to get rid of the internet. And I, I went to Lisa and I said, I know this is going to be inconvenient, but we're, we're just going to get rid of it for a while. And, um, and it, it was hard. I mean, the, things that were easy to get done were not easy to get done anymore because of that decision. But, but I needed to prove to myself and to her and to, to, to my close friends that were walking with me in accountability that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to, to make progress here and to, to live and, and freedom over this. And I can tell you, it's been over 10 years now that I've just, it's, it's, it's so worth it. <laughs> like living without the guilt and without the shame and without kind of that condemnation over this issue, it's so worth whatever it would take, whatever that drastic step God would have you take is so worth it. And I've been able to help a lot of other guys walk through this. And I've seen guys that would take this passage of scripture and go, you know what, for me, that means uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go from an iPhone to a flip phone. You know, I, I'm, I'm going to take a drastic step to go. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a, a flip phone because this is causing me to sin and it's causing me to stumble. And, and, and you go, man, that's, that's weird. That's inconvenient. You mean you can't have your email all the time or whatever, but sometimes that's what it takes. Uh, there's another guy uh, that is not a part of our church. He's a pilot and was talking to him about it. And he would get tripped up in the hotel rooms, you know, and all the travel and it was TVs and movies and just found himself getting tripped up in this area of life. And so he and his wife made an agreement and he would call ahead to the hotels and ask them to 
to get rid of the TVs out of his room. And if they didn't, he would literally unplug it and put it in the hallway. Uh, and you go, gosh, that's weird. That's kind of random. That's crazy. That's cutting off your right. That's doing whatever it takes. It's going, I'm not going to allow this to, to trip me up. And so I would just encourage you, if you're here today, and maybe that's an issue, male or female. I mean, we kind of t- tend to talk about it to guys, but I know it's an issue that, that trips up men and women alike. And uh, are you willing to, do, to, to make a drastic decision to, 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 that, that would help you live in freedom in this area of your life. And uh, I would just say, do whatever it takes. And I think Jesus did use that very intentionally. Was it literal? I don't think so. But, but did he mean we ought to get really serious about the things that are holding us back? I think so. So. All right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Why did Jesus change water into wine? What was the purpose? But if you're not entirely sure what the purpose was, chances are you're not a, you're not a whole lot of fun at weddings, mm-hmm. first of all. I think <laughs> okay. I'd say that. I love this. I love this miracle for several reasons. One being that it's, it was Jesus' first miracle. You know, so what, what is there for us to learn there? Secondly, it was at a party or a celebration. We kind of picture Jesus you know, up in an upper room or under a tree somewhere having a like, lifelong quiet time. But brother was at a party, and that's encouraging for me. You know? um, <laughs> it's wine, that's controversial, but my, my favorite thing about it is that it was at the request of his mom. And uh, as I think back to when Jesus was born, um, and the angels and shepherds all came to visit Mary, it says she treasured up these things about him in her heart. She knew that there was something different about him. And at the point of this miracle. I feel like it's not a mom saying, hey, Jesus, do those things you've done. You know, pull out one of those tricks. Uh, We got a a friend in need here as much as it is her making a profession of, I know who you are and I know what you're capable of. And uh, so, yeah, it's a... It does bring up the question about alcohol, though. Do you guys think that this was a statement uh, of for or against the use of alcohol? No, I've seen it used that way a lot. Um, both for and against, I've seen people say, well, see, you know, here Jesus is putting his endorsement on it. It's great. You know, you do whatever. And, and I've seen some people say that, uh, no, it's, it's still wrong. And, and um, Well, in, in the Baptist world, we would say that, you know, it was non-alcoholic wine. You know, it's, it's fine. I've seen, I've seen people say that, well, he didn't turn into wine. He turned into something else. So it was like grape juice or something. And the problem with that is that uh, the guy who comes and tastes it is in charge of all the wine and food. And he says it's the best wine he's ever had. And I mean, he knows what he's talking about. Um, and, and the other thing I've seen people say is, well, it, okay, it was wine, but Jesus didn't have any. And the problem with that is that, so Jesus is like the enabler in this scenario. <laughs> and so, I mean, if you think drinking is wrong, you're not going to knock on the door of the party next door and say, hey, you guys need a beer run? Like, I'm here for you. you need Whatever you guys need, I will go get. Um, and that's kind of what you have to say is happening here if you say that. Um, it, it's really not about that at all, I think. The, this, the significance of the wine, and there is some, is that in the New Testament, you see wine treated as sort of a symbolism oftentimes as uh, sort of the power and presence of God or a new word from God or God doing a new thing. And so I think the symbolism you have here with the alcohol or the wine is uh, that God's people are thirsty and Jesus is bringing them the new wine. He mm-hmm. is the fresh word, the fresh power from God. And I think that's the symbolism here. But you know, in terms of alcohol, is it good or bad? That's just sort of irrelevant as far as this passage goes, I think. So, um, you know, if you're going to chase the alcohol thing, I think that we have to be honest and go, uh, in this situation, alcohol was a part of the deal. Uh, I think Paul later 
says in your use of alcohol, food, or whatever it is, be aware of those around you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then going back to the last illustration, um, if you put, there are some people that need to cut their arm off as it relates to mm-hmm. alcohol because it's been such a huge mm-hmm. yeah. uh, devastating issue in their life. So, okay. Good. All right, why, why didn't Jesus talk about homosexuality? Let's go to the next question. Let's get an easy one. Can we, can we do that? <laughs> Still waiting for easy ones. Yeah. <laughs> I knew this one was coming. I read the city, as some of you did, too. And, and every service, it's been texted in in a various ways. Because this is a big issue today in our country and in the church. And this is one of the kind of the tracks that's being debated in the church. Now, let me say this before I talk about the specific question. Uh, this isn't just an issue. This is a subset of people that Jesus loves. Okay? And if you are listening to me now and you deal with same-sex attraction and you're wondering, is Seacoast a place where I will be accepted? The answer is absolutely. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Um, And your pastor loves you. Uh, Doesn't mean I approve of everything. Um, There's a difference between acceptance and approval. And what, what I would like to do is I would like to, let's see if we can, it's difficult to do, but let's see if we can take the emotion out of it and talk about theologically what, what, what's behind this question. You know, if it's hard to throw rocks when you're up close to somebody. Would you agree with that? And when you have a member of your family or a friend who's dealing with this issue, there's a whole other level of compassion that comes. That's a good thing. Now, it can be can be a blinding thing and a bad thing in the sense that um, if you create your theology by your feelings, I feel this way or I feel that way, then you tend to create God in your image rather than allowing him to re- recreate you in his image mm. through the word of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. And on the, on the opposite side of this issue, it's the same thing. If you watched the NFL draft and you saw a football player who got drafted who was gay, who kissed his, um, his boyfriend uh, on TV and it grossed you out, it's okay to be grossed out. That's your feelings. It's fine. But if you create your theology based on your feelings, then you also um, create God in your image rather than coming to know the God who wants to create recreate you into the image of Christ. And so, uh, with that being said, let's go to the question. So what did Jesus say? Didn't say anything. Did not say anything. So, and and check me out on that. You know, somebody last night said, I'm going to go home and check that out. Do it. Do it. He didn't, Jesus, Paul did, and the law did in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't say anything. So the next question is, why not? Why not? Because um, just the fact that he didn't say anything about it, you can't form a theological opinion on it because Jesus didn't say anything about uh, sex trafficking. Jesus didn't say anything about, um, you know, uh, slavery. Jesus didn't say anything about rape. There's a lot of things Jesus didn't say anything about. and You can't just go, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it. So apparently, you know, whatever. It, it, one way or another, you, that's, that's not strong enough. 
So you have to look at why didn't he say something about it? And the possibilities are, uh, one, it wasn't a big deal for him, okay? And I think that's what's being intimated here, possibly. And, and that, that might be the case. Or a, a second one that I would more lean toward is that it wasn't an issue of the time for him. It just, it just wasn't an issue. Uh, he did all of his ministry among Israel. He did as much as 90% of his ministry in a three-mile radius in the north part of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake, okay? We'd call it a lake. Uh, he did all of his ministry there. He did it to Jews. It, even the question about, you know, the, the Gentile lady, dog, all that, is just illustrating that Jesus came first to the Jews, and he did all his ministry there. They're under the law. They all keep the law to various degrees. Nobody can keep it perfectly. Some people think that they did, and that's why Jesus came, because we all need a Savior. And so, and so there's a common thought pattern on this, it's not an issue. Now, was it an issue for Paul? Yes, because he's with Gentiles, he's uh, uh, in Greek cities, Roman cities, and there are specific issues there. So, um, so, so I would tend to, to think the reason he didn't talk about it is because it wasn't an issue at the time. What he did talk about was marriage, and so we can say some, some things conclusively on that. Uh, when one of the hot political issues of the time was uh, divorce. And Josh talked about it a couple weeks ago, I won't re-preach his message. Uh, but there were two camps and they came to Jesus to see which camp he was in. And he took marriage back to its original intent. And he said, a man, a woman, uh, 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 for this cause, a uh, man leaves his father and his mother and he cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh. And uh, and what God has brought together, don't let anybody break up. And he says several things there. He says marriage is man and woman. He says it's not a man and several women, so sister wives isn't going to kick it. Uh, he's, uh, and he also talks about the sexual relationship, the one flesh. Uh, and there and in other places in the Bible, it defines this, our, our sexuality, our sexual relationship is to be within the context of marriage. Okay, And so... Sex outside of marriage, if you're heterosexual, uh, homosexual, gay, lesbian, straight, whatever you want to call yourself, sin, okay, outside of marriage. And so is same-sex attractions sin? I th I'd have a hard time, I'd have a hard time making that case. Is a sexual relationship outside of marriage sin? Yeah, and Jesus very clearly defined, um, very clearly defined the marriage relationship. So, so, so and, and before we cast too many stones every which direction, we've got to own our own sin uh, in, in wherever we are, and we've got to say, is, is my sin better or worse than someone else's sin? Now, if I, if I don't own any sin, that's a whole other issue. So that's how I would answer that. All right. All right, uh, we keep getting this one in, and I'm tired of it clogging up my inbox. So who would Jesus go with? <laughs> Peter Spurs. <laughs> you why, know, don't it, we, why don't we make it a, let's take the emotion out, let's just make it a theological issue. Well, and it is tricky, because you have King James and KJV only, you know, you've got King James as an issue, but I would say 
that uh, Jesus talked about hell being hot, and so I can't see how he would make a case for the heat um, in, that, in that regard. And the Apostle Paul says that we're to spur one another right. on to Amen. good But I think, I think we would all agree that Jesus is the eternal MVP and that Kevin Durant being the MVP, he's probably an Oklahoma City fan, so I'm saying he would have stopped watching when the thunder went out. Okay, next question. Yeah, I think the only other thing I would say is that when Jesus taught, the crowd stayed till the very end. They didn't leave early. So LeBron, is that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know what that means. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. If we're supposed to turn the other cheek, why does Jesus tell his disciples to buy swords? Because he was a Second Amendment guy, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. That was for. That was funny. Uh, that was funny. funny. It was unexpected. All right. I think. Uh, so let's talk about it. Yeah, and this. Uh, and this. So let's start off reading the passage because I think there's probably some freedom for some guys here. It starts off by saying, "Now this is Jesus talking to the disciples." Luke chapter 22, verse 36. It says, "But if you have a purse, take it." Let's stop right there. I have a purse. Yes. I've got a man purse. I've got several of them. Let's leave it there. All right, I'll move along. <laughs> and also a bag. So he's drawing a distinction between the man purse and the bag. He says, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with their transgressors. But I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what it was written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciple says, see, Lord, here, we have two swords. That's enough, he replied. So I want you to think back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he sent out uh, the disciples. He sent them out without a bag or a cloak or tunic, without anything. And the purpose behind sending them out was, was that they would not operate in their flesh, but learn to really trust in God and see what he would do. So if Jesus said, okay, guys, tell me how that went. They would say, man, it was, it was incredible. The dead were raised to life. The blind could see. You know, God did incredible things through them. But in this passage in particular, he's saying, hey, moving forward, guys, things are going to be different. You're going to need supplies. You're going to need to protect yourself. It's not going to be an easy road. And so there's really two different ways to look at this passage, the first of which is metaphorical, that Jesus was saying, hey, you're going to have challenges moving forward. There's going to be spiritual battles that you need to fight, and you're going to need to be prepared for them, at which point when the disciples pulled out actual swords, Jesus said, oh, that's enough. You know, that's, so the that's enough was a kind of a Jesus, you guys never get it right, you know, or, or it was a literal uh, statement. Jesus saying, hey, moving forward, this is going to be a tough road. You're going to need swords. So they pull out two, and Jesus says, hey, that's enough. So. so why would they need swords? I mean, is that so that if people don't accept Jesus, let's hear, let's cut off their hand if it causes you to sin, <laughs> that could be. Well, I feel, I feel like his, uh, you know, that it's a literal statement here. I think about, you know. I, I Robbers would say the, and things like that. Or something like that. Or I, I would say the gospel never advances by force. You know, we've never seen good come from Right. That violence. at the hands of violent yeah. men, but in the same hand, he's not saying, hey, be a doormat here, you know? Okay. Uh, you're going to have well, to protect yourselves. And yeah, that's true, but I don't really think, and I say this carefully because there's a whole lot of applause earlier and it's making me nervous. Um, I do sort of lean more metaphorical with this, and, and not necessarily from the perspective of weapons in general, because, you know, when they pull out swords, I don't think Jesus was like, I had no idea you guys had those. Um, making me uncomfortable right now, so let's just get rid of those. I don't think that's what happened. I mean, Jesus knew they had swords, and we know that at least one of them kept a sword after that because uh, just a few verses later, 
in that, in that gospel, when Jesus is arrested, one of the guys says, Lord, should we attack now? And before he waits for an answer, he just lops a guy's ear off. But what's interesting is, you know, Jesus stops him and says, basically, that's enough, which is very similar language. And, and I think that there is a sense where, um, you know, I don't think this is a statement about weapons in general, um, but, you know, if this is literal, it doesn't, to my mind, make entirely sense in terms of protection. So there are two swords. How is that enough for 12 guys? What if they have to go somewhere separately? I, hope, I mean, are the two guys that good? It's like, look, you 10 guys just stand in the middle. We got this. <laughs> uh, maybe, but, that, you know, that seems hard to me. It, to me, it's not so much a, listen, you need to get swords to protect yourself as a, I, I do think it's more of a, things are going to get hard and you guys need to be ready for it, and I don't want you to be unaware of what's coming. And again, that's not a statement about weapons in general, because I think Jesus knew they had them, but for purposes of what he's trying to tell them here, I, I have trouble taking it literally. Hmm. So we've got literal, or no, literal and metaphorical, you know, uh, you guys obviously disagree on this one. You, who, who, who thinks it's literal? Who thinks he was actually talking about <laughs> swords? I not, think not it was both. Yeah. How you figure that? <laughs> I don't know. Let's go to the next question. All right. All right. Love your enemies and turn the other cheek. That's about as outrageous, confusing, and difficult as they come. Yeah, and it almost kind of stands juxtaposed mm-hmm. to the previous one. Um, mm. But we know Jesus was known. I mean, that's a statement that Jesus said that uh, people probably attribute to him uh, more than any other. Turn the other cheek. And this idea that we should love our enemies and we should turn the other cheek. And... Uh, again, I think it brings up the issue of are we supposed to be a doormat? Can we defend ourselves? Can we defend our faith? All that stuff. And I've, I've really had to wrestle with this one recently um, as it relates to, uh, I moved into a house in January and we've had some real challenges with our HOA. I don't know if any of you have testimonies on that, but uh, we've just had to, um, <laughs> uh, I'll ignore the I applause. I think we hit a nerve. Uh, I think the HOA just got an applause then. They maybe did, yeah. The but appropriate. So, so yeah, I've, I've, I've struggled and it's been real. It's been like issues that were unclear and it's cost us a lot of money and just, it's been a headache for us. And so I sat down and I wrote an email uh, to the president of the HOA and, um, and it felt good uh, to type out this email. I mean, it was like the pleasure of the Lord was on me as I was typing. And so I showed it to Lisa and she was like, are you even a Christian? Like, how could you write this? No, you're not sending this. Um, and, and so I said, all right, I'll sleep on it. I'll take some time and, and send it later. And that night we went on a date night and we ended up stopping by another friend in the neighborhood's house. Uh, and we walk in, uh, they're having kind of some people over and sure enough at the house is the president of the HOA, whom I was getting ready to send this email to. And so we had the chance to spend, uh, you know, about an hour or so just in a social setting with awkward. this individual. Yes, it was awkward. <laughs> but what happened, I got home that night and I was like, oh, shoot, Lisa, I can't send this email. And, and what happened is I got to see this individual who had always been to me this evil antagonist, president of the HOA. Uh, and I got to see him through a little bit of a different lens. And it was, this was a friend uh, of, of some fellow seacoasters, Christ followers, whom they love, whom they've been pouring into, investing in, and inviting him to come to church with them. And it just changed my perspective. And it was like, you know what? This little battle that I'm fighting, you know, this little challenge that we're having is probably not worth me, uh, you know, fighting for revenge and fighting for what's mine. And so it, it was just an eye opener for me and, and realized that some things we need to stand up for, yeah. other things, especially when it's our pride or 
are our own deal. We just need to let God be God and, and turn the other cheek and allow, um, allow him to, we're, we're part of a bigger deal. You know, life isn't just about our own issues. Life, we're, we're part of a kingdom that's greater than the here and now. And, and if, if me fighting for what I need or my wrong to be righted today is going to undermine maybe a kingdom deal that's at work and, and God's work in someone's life, I need to just kind of set that aside and be willing to turn the other cheek. And it's hard. I still have the email in my drafts, and I'm not saying I'm not going to send it, but for now I'm not. So, You know, Josh, one of the things you touched on that I think is really important with this is that you were able to spend an hour with him and actually get to know him as a person. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that is so hard about this is it's almost impossible to love your enemies if they stay impersonal strangers. And one of the places where that's just so difficult is, is online. You know, most of the people that we interact with on social media, we never meet. We never see a picture of them or their kids. We never know anything about them other than the snarky comments that they send and the ones we send back to them. And it's very easy when, if you can treat someone as not a person, it becomes very easy to fire off something and not worry about the consequences. Mm. You know, you don't see their face when they read that. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what's going through their minds when they read that. And, and if, you can, if you can be intentional about making them, making them real people to you, you know, really being intentional about, you know, they have lives and families who love them. And because and, and, as long as you keep them impersonal, um, you're never going to love them. Yeah. I think we've got it. I think this is a big issue. The, the, when Jesus was teaching this, it was totally countercultural. Totally. Because they're living in an honor culture. Okay? Honor culture means <coughs> you mess with me, I mess with you to a greater degree. In fact, in the Old Testament, some of us have problems with the concept of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I mean, what, what about that? And actually, God was making uh, laws that were equi equitable because the honor culture they lived in was you take my eye, I take your eye, your wife's eye, and I kill all your kids. And he says, no, we can't do that. And then, and then so that's the law that they're living under. And then Jesus comes and he says, let me take it a step further. Okay, turn the other cheek. And so he, well, I think what he's saying is somebody's got to stop the cycle. If you don't stop the cycle of retribution, it's just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And Jack, what you're saying about the internet, boy, I'm fired up about that right now because I think we as Christians have got to be countercultural in how we handle social media. Mm. Uh, I, I read a story the other day about a um, um, Christian leader and I don't know the guy, uh, but runs a large organization. There were people, Christians that worked for him, felt like he wasn't doing the right things and some stuff. And, and so, um, and he probably wasn't a great guy. I don't know, may have been a jerk, who knows. But what they did was they got Twitter accounts that were anonymous and started nailing it out here. And I'm thinking, really, is that what Jesus would do? Is that what you, see, anonymous is, is uh, to me, anonymous is synonymous with cowardly, okay? I, I, I remember a few, a couple of years ago, whatever, we did a service that uh, irritated some people, and so the newspaper ran a story on it, and there were like 400 comments on this thing in the local newspaper. Actually, if you looked at it, it was a string of about seven people having a conversation, and it was anonymous because our newspaper allowed anonymous comments. And it was vicious mm. and so untrue. 
totally untrue and vicious. You could disagree with the service, but it got into, you know, yours truly, some things that were absolutely untrue, people in the church, all this kind of stuff. And so shortly after that, the newspaper made <coughs> you, if you're going to do comments, you've got to go through your Facebook account. So your name has to be on it. So consequently, in our newspaper, there are like three or four comments to every article now, which is okay. And if you have disagreements, that's fine. Put your name on it mm. so that we can talk about it. And I think as Christians, we can't be conformed into the world. We've got to be where we stand out. We're different. We do things differently. And I think this is one of the, one of the ways that, that we can do that. And we're out of time. There's a lot more questions that we could deal with. Let me talk to you about what, uh, just kind of how to handle some of the, the, the things that you're going to read in the future. Because as you read God's word, there will be times when you'll come across things, and we may even have just alluded to some of them today, that you go, wow, how do I understand that? Or that just, that doesn't seem like the God that I know. How do you deal with that? Let me give you three real quick things. Number one, you, you, you've got to learn to trust God. It's all about trust. It's trusting God. Believing that God is good and that God is loving in everything that he does. Um, example, I, uh, a few years ago, several years ago now, my sister was pregnant um, and uh, had twins. And uh, one of them was a little boy. They ended up with four boys. And... The other was a little girl, always wanted a little girl, and this little girl was born severely uh, disfigured. Um, and to, to such a degree that uh, they put her in a big hospital and the little babies that were born like her were put in a back room so that other people don't see. And I went down to visit them in Houston, Texas, and I went into the back room and I saw this little girl and my heart was broken for her. She only lived, I don't know, less than 30 days, I think. And... It was during that time, I was dri driving in my car, yelling at God. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I do sometimes. And I was just like, God, why? God, this isn't right, this isn't fair. How could you allow this? You know, just all of those things. And it was a defining moment for me because it came down to a moment of trust and a moment of coming to a place of saying, here's what I know about God. God is good and all of his ways are loving. What he allows, what he does, I mean, we can argue all of that, but ultimately it comes down to God is good and all of his ways are loving. I am limited in what I know. For me to take the moral high ground on the God of the universe and say, you know what, if I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. How arrogant is that? The Bible says that I see through a glass darkly. There will come, in other words, I don't have all the facts. There will come a day when I am able to see clearly. And I think in that day, I will see that God was good and God is loving in all that he does. So number one, trust God. Come at it in a trusting point. Number two, seek to understand. God's not afraid of questions. Ask questions, Google it, right, Jack? You know, just do whatever you can to find understanding. And once you've found understanding, one of the best ways to find understanding is, is to read wise Christians in a broad, in a broad kind of way. And those who have gone before, and that's why you read early church fathers and, and that type of thing. Seek understanding. And then finally, if you find understanding, third thing you do is share it with love. Um, and that's what it's about. It's, it's like 
oftentimes when you go through a crisis or when you have questions and you seek God and you find God in the midst of it, what's gonna happen is God never wastes a circumstance and there's gonna be somebody in your life that has the same issues, same questions, or at least same principles, and you're able to lovingly share, this is what I know about God and this is what I've come to understand. In fact, um, Seacoast is a giant experiment on the love of God. It really is. We're a church that a long time ago said that maturity is not determined by what you know, it's who you love. And you know, even in this place today and even amongst the, some of the questions, uh, as you could see, we don't all agree on everything. Um, uh, the, the, a lot of different opinions up here and the only one that was right all the time was me. And uh, <laughs> he says, and um, we agree on the, we have unity on the essentials that God is God, Jesus is the son of God, born of a virgin, that the Bible is God's word, the Bible is the source of our knowledge and life. But there are other issues, and some of them we discuss that, you know, you can have different opinions on, you just gotta love one another. And, um, and I, think that's, I think that's great, and I think that, that's what God is teaching us. Okay, so let's pray and then let's respond to God. Father, I thank you uh, for your kingdom. I thank you for the fact that you love us, that you care for us, that all of your ways are good. And God, we don't have to have all the answers because we're not gonna have all the answers in this life. But we're told to seek you and we, we are and we're doing that. God, I pray that you would apply your word to our lives today and uh, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.